I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about hell's a poppin'. <laughs> Welcome. To the world is wrong. An extreme positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm the other host, and my name is Brian Connolly. And you chose this film. It's called <laughs> Hell's a Poppin'. <laughs> you want to set it up, set up the clip and everything? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, we'll just start with a, a clip of just something from the beginning here, of just like this crazy kind of back and forth dialogue, and you'll hear some sound effects. And like, this is a very visual movie. But uh, I think the, it's, the movie starts with mayhem, so let's start the podcast with some mayhem. Take it back to 1941. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. This is impossible. What's the matter? We can't shoot this kind of stuff. Why not? This is hell's a poppin'. <laughs> Chickens, horses, tic-tac-toe, pictures are different. You're going to have a story. Story. <laughs> Crazy. Come on. Just a minute, please. Here, here. Just a minute. Pardon me. May I please have your autograph? You know you're my favorite actors. Oscar always takes me to see your pictures. We just adore them. Well, thank you. Who are they? Why, Olson and Johnson. Olson. Olson and Johnson? Oscar! Now listen, fellas, we've got to have a story, a love story. Why? Why, I'll tell you why. Because we've got to have one. Because every picture has one. Hey! Just a minute. Take it easy, bud. Who is he? My bodyguard. Take it easy. Oh. Telephone for Mr. Olson. Hello? Who? The chambermaid. It's for you. Hello? Yeah? That's bad. That's good. That's good. That's bad. Hey. That's good. Hey. That's good. Hey. That's bad. Hey, what are you doing? That one? What are you doing? I'm helping her sort a box of strawberries. Mrs. Jones! Mrs. Jones! Uh, what do you want? I've got to deliver this plant to Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones! Look here, my friend. We're making a motion picture here. That's a matter of opinion. Mrs. Jones! Holy chick, Mrs. listen. Jones. We've had a writer working on a love story. Won't you at least talk to him? Come on. You can't tell me you have to have a love story. Would I give you a bump, steer? Oscar! Hey, I've been a director for 15 years and I never did a picture without a story. There never has been a picture without a story. There never will be a picture without a story. Gentlemen, gentlemen, may I take your picture? What? May I take your picture? Sure. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Boys, put your careers in the palm of my hand. Oscar! Oscar! Will someone stop that woman from yelling Oscar? Oscar! Will someone please stop that woman from yelling Oscar? Thank you. Thank you very much. Boys, I'll mold you into great art. You don't have to mold us. We're very happy the way we are. Yeah, we think we look fine. Give us a chance and we'll make you the best director. I am the best director. Now, wait a minute. Thought they burnt that. All right, Selby. Have a look at me. Mr. Olson. And Mr. Johnson. How are you, Selby? I didn't hear your first name. Uh, what? Uh, well, you've got to speak louder. I can't hear you. Uh, yes, he's a little weak. The doctor's got him on a soup diet. Soup diet? Yes, he told me to eat three plates a day. Three plates a day? Ha! You ought to be feeling swell. Oscar! Oscar! Right back. Joe, Harry, Willie, where are all my assistants around here? Now, look.
up, Selby. You seem like a bright young man. How old are you? 23. 23? Well, that's a patriotic age. Uncle Sam needs young men like you. I presume you're ambitious? Oh, yes. That's fine. What would you like to be? 29. Say, fella, how much would you charge to haunt a house? How many rooms? Okay, boys, okay, no more interruptions. This is Joe! This is Joe! This is Joe! Oscar! Oscar! How much longer do I have to put up with this? Until we finish this picture. How long? Until we finish this picture. Oh, no! Okay, send for another cameraman. Hell's a Poppin', 1941, directed by H.C. Potter, based on the hit Broadway show uh, featuring the comedy stylings of Olsen and Johnson. Uh, the show, the Broadway show, was plotless. Uh, the movie, they shoehorned a little bit of a romance plot, <laughs> but more or less it tried to capture the mayhem of the show of a million sight gags, a joke per second, if you missed a joke while laughing, don't worry, you probably missed 20, and then you'll keep missing them the more you laugh. But it just means repeat viewings. Uh, the plot is fairly simple. Olsen and Johnson are in hell. They're trying to figure out how to make their stage show into a movie. Uh, the producer, the director, sadly tells them they're gonna have to put some plot in there because that's just what Hollywood does. Cut to them watching a movie of the movie uh, where we're introduced to three characters forming a little love triangle. Uh, this is the shoehorned plot. Uh, Olsen and Johnson are then magically in that movie as they try to make this relationship happen and also uh, just throw a trillion jokes at you. Do they all land? I don't know. But it is the only comedy that gives you everything and the kitchen sink. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and that's a, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell the plot because this movie, much in the fashion of great films like Airplane and, uh, you know, the, the other kind of those crazy top secret, the plot isn't really what's here. It's all about the slapstick and the wordplay and the, and the sight gags and the props and the movie references. And it is just... If you're not ready for it, it is an exhausting film, but luckily it only clocks in at around 70 minutes. Yeah. And it features <laughs> Shemp. And it features the great Shemp Howard, yes. Um, <laughs> so how is the world wrong about this film, Brian? So uh, there's, a few, there's a few things. I feel like... So this... Uh, first off, this movie for the longest time was very hard to find. Luckily, it's on YouTube. That's how you can find it right now. There's a pretty thrown-together DVD that is clearly just done with zero love. Um, and though this is a movie uh, referenced and talked about by many great filmmakers, there's never really been a lot of acclaim or glory given to this movie. This movie should have a Criterion release. This movie should be on the list, I feel, of some of the great com uh, comedies. Uh but for some reason, it just, maybe it's too silly. Maybe Olsen and Johnson don't quite connect with people in the same way as a Marx Brothers or an Abbott and Costello or even the Three Stooges. And so first off, I feel it's lacking the respect that it deserves. And second, when it came out, it was kind of not really liked by critics. So Olsen and Johnson, Oli Olsen and Chick Johnson, they were a comedy team. 
They were a popular comedy team, but considered popular outside of the city. They were kind of considered, their jokes were looked at as dated. Like there's critics who were like, these guys aren't that funny. They haven't really updated their gags for the 1930s. But people loved them. Their shows were a hit. And especially when they did a show called Hell's a Poppin', which was a touring show, which uh, is often considered to be one of the first sort of mixed media audience interaction shows. And it was so popular that they were invited to do it on Broadway. The show changed every night. There was no plot. And it was just them pulling out every joke in the book. <laughs> the show was a hit on Broadway. And it ended up being one of the longest lasting shows on Broadway with over 1,100 performances. Though the critics were baffled by its success and hated it, <laughs> despite it having constant sold-out shows. They were, of course, invited to Hollywood to adapt this to the screen. And in a way, the world is a little wrong in that they weren't allowed to truly adapt their stage show, and they were forced to do a plot that they didn't want to do. And one of the main gags of the movie, which we'll go into, was sort of ruined in the, in the post-production, and the ending was taken out. I want to see this ending put back if it still exists somewhere on the cutting room floor. That's a great bonus feature for a future Criterion collection. The movie also not liked by critics, even modern critics like Leonard Moulton, who really likes Olsen and Johnson, doesn't really care for this movie, saying that he gets bummed out by the plot and just feels like it doesn't quite work in the way that the stage show would have. Having said that, I'm here to <laughs> praise it because I, the, when I first saw this movie, fell immediately in love with it and was like, I've been waiting my whole life to see Hell's a Poppin'. Well, I can see why. This is uh, <laughs> this is a classic Brian-type film, although I think this is your first film that is from this era. That you've chosen, right? Have you ever have you chosen? Yeah. The, uh, is this the oldest yeah. film you've chosen for the? <laughs> I, by decades, I'm trying to think of what before this would have been. The like, I don't. I, I'm trying to think like maybe, like, <laughs> the 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 Hot Rock, <laughs> maybe from 1970, <laughs> whatever. Like, I don't think I've gone before the 70s because you certainly have. You have your Johnny Cool. You have your uh, Strange Love of Martha Ivor. So you immediately were interested in jumping back into the golden age of Hollywood. Whereas I have a bit of a reputation, I guess, for not liking older movies, according to my wife, <laughs> though. I don't think that's true, though. She does not count classic comedies because she says, well, you'll watch the comedy teams, but then try to make me watch Grand Hotel and I'll throw a fit. Though I have watched Grand Hotel and I loved it. <laughs> so you, you did throw a fit, a fit of ecstasy. Of joy. <laughs> <laughs> I watch all, and then it's funny. Like uh, when I mentioned I was watching this at work, uh, Lars Nilsson, who's one of the head programmers at the theater, was like, "But you hate old movies, Brian. Why would you watch that?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't understand this rumor, this <laughs> dirty rumor that I hate old movies." Like, I am, I have a Shep tattoo on my body. That guy didn't live to see 1955. <laughs> like, I'm obsessed with Jerry Lewis. Like, these are. Movies made before I was born, like when I was a kid. The first movie I remember ever seeing was the Lon Chaney silent Phantom of the Opera. So, like, my love of movies started with a fucking silent movie. So. 
This slander must end now with this episode. <laughs> then I don't like watching old movies. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, I've been talking for a bit. What? So was this your first time watching this? Yes, this was my first Hell to Pop and experience. And I loved it. I loved it. This was... <laughs> I'd never seen this before, never heard of it before. And it's actually, an, it feels like an incredibly modern, not modern, but it's so fast. Like yeah. It, it's, it feels like an, a classic era Simpsons episode. It feels like Zucker, like the best of the Zucker brothers. It, it so clearly has, a, a, holds an influence for so many filmmakers and it holds up. I mean, this is, it's, this is airplane level good. Uh, yeah. And that, and that was sort of the first thing that struck me when watching it was like, well, I backtrack. The reason why I know about this movie at all is that when you watch or read about the making of 1941, which is also a very hated film, <laughs> Spielberg keeps referencing this movie. He keeps saying, like, I want it to be like Hell's a Pop, and I want to recreate the dancing in Hell's a Pop, and I want to recreate the pace of Hell's a Like, that was sort of like his go-to thing. Who knows who else on the set knew what the hell he was talking about? <laughs> but clearly he had watched it on TV, I'm guessing, or, so, or maybe a, a second-run version of it. But, like, he was obsessed with it. And then kind of in that same kind of group of filmmakers, Joe Dante, also equally obsessed with it, in his first film, Hollywood, um, what's it called? Hollywood, not Hollywood Babylon. What's the first Joe Dante movie called? Hollywood Boulevard. Holly, Hollywood Boulevard. In his first movie, Hollywood Boulevard, there is a reference to this movie. But then he clearly is fully obsessed with it and reference like gremlins 2 is basically this movie like gremlins 2 is hell's a poppin but with the gremlins and then lo and behold if you read interviews with joe dante he's like yeah i wanted to make hell's a poppin but with the gremlins that was the only <laughs> sequel i wanted to make nobody asked for that america didn't want it but he gave it to us and yeah when you watch this movie it is very like immediately you're just struck by how fast it is because like other comedies from this era, like I was watching um, Here Come the Co-Eds co last night, an Abbott and Costello movie, and their banter is certainly quick, but the movie's pace is definitely more like movies from that era. You know, it's not a lot of cuts. It kind of feels a little theatrical. And even like the best of the Mark Brothers, Mark's Brothers, like they, some of their routines will kind of move a little fast, but it still is kind of paced in a way that feels not insanely chaotic but this movie has that that chaotic just quick crazy joke 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 that we kind of always attribute to like airplane or like blazing saddles or something but this is you know for 35 40 years before those movies so it's uh <laughs> it's so ahead of its time <laughs> whether those people had seen this movie or not like it definitely like the bones of that kind of spoof I feel like exist in Hell's a Poppin. It's interesting because uh, this is 1941, the same year as Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's the joke, the Citizen Kane joke in this movie <laughs> about with the with the with the rosebud <laughs> with sled. The, yeah, we walks past and says, "I thought they burned that." <laughs> and the same year as the Maltese Falcon, which we all, yeah. we have a, a Maltese Falcon connection because Elisha Cook Jr. is in this. Yes, and. 
I don't know, just like in terms of those are both regarded as revolutionary films that change yeah. the game. I feel like in a weird way, this film should be talked about. Like if there isn't, <laughs> if this is the most of this kind of thing up to this point, that there had been nothing like this. And in a way, just like Orson Welles, these guys had a hit on, had were hits on stage. Hollywood brought them out and they basically broke the mold of how you make movies and made this, I don't know, I would say revolutionary or groundbreaking or, well, a film that that lives up to, to a modern eye. Yeah. It's, yeah, I guess, the, I, I think you may have stumbled <laughs> onto like the like a, a a key piece of film history that is yeah that is lost like, to us so 41 is like you said like that's a big deal year i think for movies and i think because this stars sort of like a forgotten comedy team and because it's so silly of course it's just not going to get any respect it's just it's a tale as old as time that hollywood does not respect their old comedies or they're comedians <laughs> like they don't win the oscars they don't like they just aren't on the afi lists you know it's just like it's it's just stupid <laughs> like, and it makes me sad because it makes me think in 50 years people are gonna not remember airplane or something you know it's just like just because something is only done in the name of fun doesn't mean it isn't important and can't have like mad respect i still don't think that airplane is talked about the same way that people talk about i don't know close encounters of the third kind or raging bull which came out the same year or you know right. yeah and i would rather watch airplane than raging bull definitely <laughs> it makes you feel better <laughs> the other, uh, less creepy abuse uh less problematic uh, main character i bet most um, people who watch films like even if you like raging bull you don't want to watch that over and over again <laughs> well it's like i always assumed before i saw this movie that sort of the inspiration sort of the the like the like for like the a blazing saddles or an airplane or top secret was in sort of like cartoons like looney tunes cartoons or or you know yeah and but like but this movie already has that that tone and like the mood, the constant movie references and like the yep. fact that it doesn't linger on a joke for more than like a few seconds, which just feels so out of place for this era of comedy. Like that's such a thing that's considered like MTV era, like people who don't have like a short attention span, sort of like rapid fire delivery of every everything. Like it's just, <laughs> I think I would like... I would imagine that the critics maybe hated it because they weren't ready. <laughs> Nobody was just like how a lot of critics hated Citizen Kane, where it's like, we don't want to yeah. see the ceiling. What are you doing? This is weird. This is jarring. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I feel like it, it, it in a weird way. I mean, it, it it definitely inhabits the same time zone as Citizen Kane. And weirdly, it may inhabit the same kind of. I don't know, dynamic in terms of the critical reception. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, did you, I, there was even a part where at the beginning when they're watching the movie and it felt like MST3K. 
I'm like watching it and being like, oh, this is exactly what it looks like to watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, where you have the three heads in the bottom of the screen commenting and making fun of and watching this movie play in front or of them. Or like the beginning of Kane, when they're oh, watching yeah. the <laughs> newsreel. <laughs> That's just very, even more true. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and I mean, did you did you notice, like, <laughs> I, well, just one thing, the, the opening hell sequence, do you feel like Woody Allen... Was inspired definitely. by that for deconstructing for de- Harry yes, because it, definitely. it yeah. looked exactly like, I mean, not exactly, but it really, there was so much that looked really like. Well, <laughs> he must have seen this movie, right? I mean, like, and even pre Mel Brooks or the Zucker Brothers, like you have the early Woody Allen, like bananas and take the money and run. Like though that's like before Blazing Saddles, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's, so like he was like one of the, f- first people to kind of bring back this kind of comedy and he must have seen this movie i mean just to watch you know um the harlem conqueror dancers and slim and slam that seems like something right up <laughs> woody Allen's, <laughs> you know alley and the fact that the script is co-written by uh nat perrin who wrote a lot of the dialogue for duck soup so it feels like very much in the in the woody allen wheelhouse of uh of what he would be into yeah. <laughs> and it features the fabulous Martha Ray, who if you oh. were a child of the 70s, you remember her from her Polydent commercials, but she is <laughs> what, fantastic what were, in this. What were the Polydent? Because this that was before my time, so I'm guessing that's for dentures, right? Yeah, here, let me, I'll just play it for you. Here. <laughs> Polydent presents Martha Ray, state star denture wearer. When I have to give an audience my big Martha Ray smile, I need something extra. Extra strength, pollen and green. It gets my dentures sparkling clean. Watch, tough lab stains. Now, extra strength, pollen. It's fantastic. It's tough stains clean, even in between. So take it from a big mouth. Try pollen and green. Get tough stains clean with extra strength. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually remember that or did you find that when looking her up? Uh, I did, I remembered that the only way I knew Martha Ray was from commercials, but I didn't remember what the commercial was. <laughs> she is on fire in this movie. She's yeah. my favorite part of this movie. And she shows up as this horny lady who just wants to get laid. So excited just to find a man, any man. <laughs> I want a man. Yeah. And it, clearly that character from Who Framed Roger Rabbit must be this character from Hell's a Poppin', right? Like the, the the one that they think is Jessica Rabbit and then sees Bob Hoskins and goes, a man! <laughs> and chases him around. Uh, but uh, she is so funny. She is so funny in this. And like, it's just, there's an amazing musical number. Well, so she kind of, uh, <laughs> so there's this, pr- this prince who's uh, hiding that he's a prince or a count, right? And his name is Peppy, played by Misha Auer. And uh, he accidentally mistakenly thinks that Martha Ray is this rich woman because, because uh, well, the gag is like he's being explained who the lady is that he should be like after because he wants to get with a rich lady. And the person helping him is like, oh, it's the lady over there with the ice, referring to a woman wearing a lot of, you know, diamonds. The lady moves out of the way and behind her is Martha Ray holding a giant block of ice. <laughs> and so the guy's like, oh, I guess that's the lady. And she, of course, is instantly like, yeah. And he's like, let's go in here. And they go into like a closet and she's like, I am ready to have sex with you, basically. <laughs> and, uh, and they kiss and the ice melts. 
And that begins sort of a whole thing of her chasing this guy around, uh, culminating in an amazing music number where he just is constantly thrown around violently <laughs> through walls and he hits a rake and he lands on a cactus and all these sort of gags that you would as associate with like Daffy Duck happening to this poor handsome man with a pencil thin mustache while she's just basically trying to rape him. <laughs> <laughs> Not basically like, yeah, that's like what's going on. And later on, there's a part where she like just jumps him in a room and he's like, no, no, no. And then you see him like a minute later, him coming out with his clothes all ripped up. Uh, again, like in Deconstructing Harry, after you take that jump cut from him with the prostitute and he comes out and he's all tattered and ripped <laughs> up. So I'm thinking there's a little bit of this in that movie, which we did as our uh, at the end of last season. Um, so, yeah, she and she gets a lot of musical numbers like Martha Ray gets a lot of attention in this movie, despite there being like three actual main characters. No, I feel like she's the main star, like she's the star performer, like the are the heroes of the story are not really the stars. They're like the Marx Bro in the, the, the pretty people <laughs> in a Marx Brothers movie. Nobody really cares. <laughs> And then there's yeah. <laughs> your your stars, which are Oli and John, or what? What? Oli? What are they? Which ones? What are their names? Olson and Johnson. Olson and Johnson. But Martha Ray is the one who has all the songs. She has a, a she has a lot of the best gags as far as yeah. from an actor's standpoint. Like all the other yeah actors who are doing their gags are mostly like physical gags or visual gags, whereas she is actually being giving a, a funny performance. It actually reminded me of uh, Lauren Lapkus in The Wrong Missy. That, oh, I can see that. That <laughs> kind of character. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and yeah, she's just so funny. It's just, uh, I want to watch more of her in things. Like I, she showed up in some Abbott and Costello stuff. Like there was a great bit. I don't remember which movie it's in. I think it's one of the ones where they're in the army, which is, of course, also 20 movies. But, like, she plays twin sisters working in a diner. And uh, Abbott and Costello keep getting confused as to which one has their order. And it's, like, this whole bit. And both of them get confused. And, like, so, like, Martha Ray is just one of the great. <laughs> I hate the word comedian. But she's just she's one of the great comedians, like, I think of this era. She's just so funny. Um and physical, there's so much great physical comedy that she does, uh, you know. And this is pre, you know, this is before Lucy. So she's one of the early female physical comedians. Like she's falling down, she's rolling around, she explodes and flies in the air and falls down <laughs> all burnt to a crisp. Uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing uh, performance. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's great. I think another thing of this movie that kind of makes it feel very modern is all the fourth wall breaking, which I can't think of another comedy that has that much in it. And it, of course, starts with Shemp Howard as our projectionist of this movie. And this is actually one of the scenes that they made. This is one of the sequences they made them add in post-production. Like originally, they wanted just to address a projectionist that you never saw. So when you saw it in the theater, it felt like they were talking to your projectionist oh. projecting the movie, which would have been great. <laughs> yeah. But instead they decide Hollywood decided to add, and I can't complain because it's, you know, my guy, Shemp Howard, <laughs> as as uh 
just one a relative, a cousin of of uh, Olsen and Johnson, and they realize he's not either of their cousins, and they don't know who this guy is. Yeah. But he's running <laughs> haphazardly running the projection, and this movie gets into like very surreal gags of like the film breaking and the film being off and um like weird like slides telling a kid to go home i guess that was a thing maybe they used to do in the movie theater being like uh his his name is stinky and they're like stinky you need to go home stinky gotta go see your mom and then eventually some kid stands up in the audience who is stinky and he goes home uh, and it's actually during a there's like it's like this one the one musical number without jokes in it and you're like oh this is gonna be like in the Marx Brothers movie where we're just kind of bored for a few minutes when there's no comedy but then that's when this slide gag happens and then the couple even stops their song and everyone is kind of annoyed waiting for Stinky to get up to go home <laughs> <laughs> such a weird weird joke um, <laughs> uh, the film is upside down like it just it goes. And it does the Blazing Saddles thing where they're jumping from one type of movie to another. Yep. Where like they're all of a sudden there's a Western and they refer to the phony Hollywood Indians, which uh, I thought was kind of bold for 1941 to refer to these people, these yep. white guys dressed as Indians as phony Hollywood Indians. And uh, yeah, it's just that that stuff also just feels very ahead of its time. Um, it, it just I loved it. I love that kind of stuff. And, and just all the um, – just the way it kind of jumps from – you think it's going to be weighed down with plot, but then they have all these crazy musical numbers too. Um, what what do you think of – like what was your favorite of all the musical numbers? There's so many of them. Well, the, like, I mean, the dance number, <laughs> the, what, what, the Lindy Hop dance number was just – that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and and the Martha Ray going after Pepe uh, was pretty awesome. I mean, yeah, there the were Lindy all Hop there was so much good stuff. I mean, all the stuff with with like it was it sort of stressed me out. We haven't got to it yet, but there's a whole pot, plot where uh, I guess it's Jeff, the main guy that like the the heartthrob guy is trying to put on a show that's going to get. They're trying to get a big Broadway producer to come and see it. And Oli and or Johnson and Olson are uh, trying to sabotage the show, and that stressed <laughs> me out a bunch. I, I didn't like that part, but it was very funny. But the but still, it leads to some very funny hijinks. Uh, but yeah, no, the dance scene has to be like the the Lindy Hop dance scene has to be. It's that part is so crazy. It's like so that was a real so. The, the scene's really great because so it's like these guys, so it's these two African-American fellows moving in all the instruments uh, for this big show that's going to happen. This is actual, uh, gr uh, an actual group called Slim and Slam, who wrote the original version of Tutti Frutti that was the inspiration for Little Richard. And so they're delivering the instruments and they decide to just start playing them. And then all the help in the house, of course, all black people all show up that the chef shows up like the chauffeur and they all just start playing this music and then you have all the maids and the butlers and everybody then start dancing and that's played by the actual dance group the harlem kangaroo dancers who were in the broadway version of hell's a pop and they were in every show doing a performance so they are uh, brought over from the original which is great and it's just one of the most insane <laughs> dance sequences ever it's so violent like they're really just throwing these women and men around like crazy. 
It's it's just, it's like you just keep worrying that someone's gonna like knock their teeth out. Yeah, no, like real <laughs> Lindy Hop truly... dancing is very. It, yeah, that it it they really nailed it. They it's it's super intense, high energy, and yeah, they're just throwing each other around. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And that scene actually, somebody I don't know who colorized that part. So you can watch that scene sort of remastered and in color on also on YouTube, which is an interesting thing to not, why not just do the whole movie? Though I think colorization is dumb. But, uh, and I also love that this movie has that kind of Esther Williams water dancing. I'm always a big fan of that. Of uh, Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very odd scene where it keeps going in on shapes of things people are holding like a fan. And then it cuts to all these women who I thought were topless at first because of the black and white and their white outfits. They looked naked. And I was like, is this like a pre whatever code thing? But they're wearing, they're wearing outfits and they're kind of in the shape of these things. And then there's that crazy scene where it's just everybody di- high diving and the camera keeps freeze framing. Yeah. Uh, of like in the mid, which again feels very ahead of his time. Like freeze framing wasn't really used a lot until like the French new wave, like until Godard and like, Truffaut were doing it, but here's this crazy comedy, 1941, where it's stopping the movie, showing these people mid-frame, like before they hit the water. Well, that's what I mean um, with like the Citizen Kane like... thing. I'm not trying to say this is as good, good as Citizen Kane, but it's doing the thing that we're told that we should respect Citizen, Citizen Kane for doing, which is taking cinema and using the tools of cinema in ways that Hollywood wasn't using it yet. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I I should say while we're while we're praising it for its for the things it got right, I did find the whenever there's like a like there's the there's a big musical number that was all about the old south and <laughs> General Lee and all, like how the greatness of General Lee and you're like mm, yeah, the good, this... They're waiting for the good ship General E. Lee. Yeah. <laughs> or Robert E. Lee. Yeah, it's yeah. like the good ship Robert E. Lee. Well, yeah. I, fr- I was. Who's, so who's, that's, who's so... in the belly of that ship? I'm curious. <laughs> not, it's not, f- yeah, it's not good. I feel like, though, like it would seem more offensive, but the fact that it's a source of ridicule, like that they ruin it, I wonder if that's intentional. Like in a movie that calls out phony Hollywood Indians, which is a thing that... Yeah people then do i mean i feel like they're kind of making a buffoon or yeah making it kind of silly this dance number it starts out as this we're going to celebrate the south celebrate the kind of the the civil war (laughs) and but then you see all those guys like hit the wall and fall down because they lock the door that they're supposed to gracefully dance through and so I don't know. Like it, it's at once seems like oh geez, this seems sort of old fashioned and way out of date. But at the same time, it's ruined. You know, they're not allowed to have this glory moment with that song. They're made into fools. So I don't know. <laughs> and there's no interview with anyone who made this to let us know or let us in on sort of the intentions of that moment. Because it does like because like that whole end of them ruining the play is basically what the producers is about. Like they yeah. want to make this a flop. And then just like in the producers, it accidentally becomes a hit because of the way they ruined it, made it so entertaining and crazy that it actually is popular. Right. <laughs> and so just like how the producers is making fun of Hitler and, but supposed to be praising him. But I wonder if this moment is almost like that 
I don't know. <laughs> huh. Okay. Well, that, that's kind of how I read it of like, sort of like, oh, this is some stupid, you know, like gone with the wind shit. And then they have, they knock all the people down. They don't get to have this great performance celebrating the good ship Robert E. Lee. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> or that's maybe, a, fair I, that's defense. sort of how I read, that that's how I read it. That is a fair defense of the film. There's, like, another, there's another question I have. There's a, there's a bit... There's one gag that I don't understand how they did it. The whole okay. uh, there's a whole gag with the um, archery where they're where Martha oh, yeah. Ray and yeah. uh, Olson and Johnson are standing in front of these archery targets. And who's the guy? I don't know. This guy who keeps showing up sort of and doing weird little sight gags throughout with his beard. I don't know who that actor is. Oh, the, uh, the detective, the detective, yeah, he, um, that is, um, gosh, uh, he's in a bunch of this stuff. Hugh Herbert. Yeah. Hugh Herbert as the, as the man of all these disguises. And he shoot is shooting arrows at them <laughs> and they're barely missing them. And how do they, like, how do you think they're doing that? <laughs> I, I was yeah i was wondering because it's like it's crazy where it's really close to them yeah and either they really trusted somebody to be an expert marksman which could go horribly wrong yeah is maybe magnets or maybe there's like a, a, a thing is like i would think like oh is there's like a wire that's but you don't see a wire and there's been back then they weren't good enough to hide wires you know right and so it really does look like someone shooting a shit ton of arrows at them yeah there's the, one shot where martha ray is there and like he they shoot like 10 arrows at her at once right and one of them goes through <laughs> her shirt like it so it, it actually is puncturing things it's a, if they can if they have a if there's a special effect that made that happen that's amazing and if it's someone actually shooting that's crazy <laughs> it really it really is crazy <laughs> um yeah it's <laughs> and i feel like that's kind of when i watch this movie that's just how i feel like every minute i'm like how do they do that oh that's crazy oh, i've never seen that joke before it just it just throws everything at you it's just it's just such a it's an odd feeling to watch something old it is it is very much like when i first saw uh citizen kane where you're what you're especially when you're because i first saw citizen kane when i was 11 12 yeah and it also is the same way uh same feeling when i first saw psycho where you're like okay it's some black and white thing like okay this is gonna be some old movie from like and and then you're then you watch it and then you're like this is feels like now like this is so fresh and stylistically like not dated at all but in fact he's still ahead of its time <laughs> like we haven't caught up to these movies yet and uh but unlike Psycho and unlike Citizen Kane, this movie nobody cares about. Um, <laughs> until we are saying, no, that must stop now. It's time to care about Hell's a, Hell's a Poppin' should be shown in film school. God damn it. Absolutely. <laughs> just so much technique, so much stuff. Uh, and you just um, have to, like, it's, it's, it feels like you're right. It's film school because you have to have this to understand all these other films like 1941 and gremlins too <laughs> <laughs> or like i feel like there's like you see some uh there's blake edwards in this there's mel brooks in this there's jerry lewis in this like yeah. there's 
Jacques Tati in this. Like there's uh Ronan Martin said that this movie inspired Laffin. Like this is what they saw Hells of Pop and they're yeah. like, let's make Laffin totally get like that. that. So I mean it's like it's definitely like it took you know, 30 years for people to kind of be inspired by it, 40 years, and then people still are baffled by it. It still is like a head scratcher for a lot of folks. But yeah, like I don't remember a movie from this era that has all these movie references in it. Like that feels such a modern type of comedy. Like that's such a family guy, like you said, Simpsons yeah. sort of thing. But like they have like the, the Rosebud joke we talked about. They have like Frankenstein's monster shows up for just like a second for no reason. Just to throw – like that doesn't that feel like a Seth MacFarlane family guy Simpsons joke? Like all of a sudden yeah. Frankenstein's there. No reason for it at all. Just to throw a woman back on stage. It <laughs> flew off. And that's it. That's the only reason. A reference to him throwing the little girl in the lake. Uh, you know? and, but it's such an odd – feeling to kind of see that kind of comedy in an old movie or there's a weird here comes mr jordan reference it's just like <laughs> yeah this kind that kind of comedy i think like did like because i'm just trying to think like where like the marx brothers they reference stuff but not like in this way like they wouldn't just have frankenstein monsters show up in their movie like there'd be like I don't know, though, but like the Marx Brothers stuff is all kind of absurdist, sort of like their own thing. And like Chaplin will reference, you know, like political figures or whatever. But like, I'm just trying to think of anyone else at the time. And like, this is still a few years before Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein even. So like that kind of that kind of comedy, like that kind of referential, like remember this thing from pop culture comedy also just feels so new in this movie <laughs> like it didn't exist like and trivia for trivia people this is the first person to play frankenstein's monster after boris karloff i think a lot of people don't realize it's here in this movie <laughs> i'm also a sucker for movies where they ruined a play at the end of the movie <laughs> i realized that when i was thinking about like all my favorite comedies there's at least four of them where that happens <laughs> <laughs> that's such a a thing which one <laughs> well i mean of course not at the opera which you know was the i think the first one to do that that was because that's 30 1935 does it seem right and so not at the opera has the great you know end of them of the marx brothers ruining the opera the producers of course uh brain donors the dennis dugan <laughs> masterpiece that's it's uh <laughs> starring john Turturro. <laughs> Where they basically like that has to be inspired by Night at the Opera and this like they ruin the end and they're doing Swan Lake and John Turturro dresses up as a uh, hunter and they're killing the the swan and it just goes in like the mayhem. Uh, and then Dirty Work, the Norm Macdonald movie where they're they're ruining Don Giovanni. Um, but I can see why it would make you nervous <laughs> to see yeah, well, you know what? It's funny. In Night at the Opera, in Night at the Opera, it doesn't make me nervous because I, because I, I, I'm down with the reasons they're doing it. With this, it's the combat, like it's that whole thing of like, there's a misunderstanding, and they think that the wrong person, that this other person was in the room, so they need to ruin the relationship. So they need, like, so they're doing it for the wrong reasons, and then, uh, did, yeah, it did stress. And, me yeah, out. You're right, because in the other movies, like Night of the Opera, they're ruining the thing because there's bad people 
in charge of the thing and they're it's a good that they're ruining it because the person who runs the opera or the play or whatever is an asshole whereas right. in this it's a person who's really nice and it's a misunderstanding so they're ruining the play and it's sad <laughs> because this poor guy is innocent and he's okay so the the part so there's the part when they think that it's the other lady in the bedroom with with the guy when in fact it was Martha Ray raping that count <laughs> but it, they they try to call her a word but then they comes then it's censored and they have a joke about the Hayes code yep or what is the word are they trying to say are they saying like slut or whore or yeah what it's either you slut think or whore yeah something like that and then, and like they say it and then they're like oh I think it was Shep because like oh we still got the Hayes you know, still have the Hayes code <laughs> um when I don't think that that's a j- first time that jokes happen where you pretend to censor a thing that also feels very modern, like that. <laughs> there's so many gags that are just uh, insanely ahead of its time, and I wonder, like, I wish, I wonder if there's a record of their t- of their stage show, like the popular show, and what jokes were in that that might have been even more ahead of their time or inappropriate that Hollywood could have would have shied away from. Um. I guess there was a different ending. Like the original ending was cut off. Of what the was movie. the original ending? Uh, the original, because the way the movie ends now is Elijah Cook Jr. being murdered <laughs> 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 and then drinking water and all the water going out of the holes. Right. So uh, for, is, was this the first of many deaths of him in a movie or was this coincide with... Uh, does he, he die in the Maltese Falcon? Uh, well... No, they're gonna, remember. they're gonna, no, they're gonna basically pin all of the crimes on him. <laughs> yeah, uh, really weird to see him in this movie too. By the way, very <laughs> handsome. Good God, what a good looking guy. He, yeah, he pl- he pl- he plays sort of their assistant. Like the sc- he's got the screenplay, and they they hand him the screenplay, and then the movie cuts back to this bookend of the, the filmmaker, and he gets shot, and he drinks the water. But so that's where the movie ends. But then it kept going, I guess. And it went to the premiere of Hell's a Poppin'. And Olsen and Johnson are there and they're getting their footprints put outside the Grauman Theater. And they sink in the cement and they sink all the way down. And then it says the end. <laughs> and for some reason, they thought that was too much. <laughs> or it was too weird that they were going to the premiere of their own movie, of the movie that they're, you're watching. Like that was maybe too surreal for people to get. <laughs> Though by this point in the movie, by the end, aren't you like game for whatever? But what's crazy is that's how the Jerry Lewis movie Cracking Up ends. Like that movie ends with him at this, like they're showing Cracking Up and he's there. But it's called Smorgasbord in the movie. Um, And that's also, isn't Blazing Saddles, right? They're outside. do Do they go to the theater that's showing Blazing Saddles or are they just in Hollywood? I think it's just in Hollywood, but I'm, I don't remember that. Okay, but there's you know they're outside a theater or whatever, and then uh, <clears throat> I feel like they, they I don't know I wish that was the I want to see them sink in cement. <laughs> so I wonder if that footage still exists uh, anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. So are you are you pretty confident that this really is the first thing that's like this that there isn't something else I, earlier? I can't think of anything like before this. Like for comedy, what do you got? You got Buster Keaton definitely getting into the surreal. Like Buster Keaton definitely doing like Dada type, you know, abstract jokes. Um, And you have like the Marx Brothers definitely doing like the night at the opera with like, there's a lot of gags there. 
And like the Mark's and Duck Soup has that great absurdist feel to it and that kind of mayhem. And they're like they're the masters of that. But like this type of comedy though, like this type of like It's very cinematic, liter- this comedy. this is very cinematic. It's very like pre Ernie Kovacs and pre Yeah. Um uh just yeah, that kind of like you're doing it with the visuals and you're doing you're you're doing it with the filmmaking. You know, like there's no filmmaking jokes in anything before this that I can think of. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I don't know. like where they're playing with the medium, like with like in that, which is crazy because it's based on a play. But then they decided to make the movie to heighten it and make all these sort of camera gags and all these visual things. And it's just it's like I said, it feels so like French New Wave. This feels like something people were tinkering with later on. And uh, I, I would be, I would be interested to hear if anyone can think of a movie before this is like this. Because I, I mean, yeah, well, I can't well, you, think you, of you're, anything. The, the gauntlet has been thrown down, <laughs> listeners. Let us know. Let us know if there's an earlier film than Hell's a Poppin' that pops this much hell. <laughs> so one very strange fact about this: the only source of trivia that I could find about this, about sort of the, this movie is, uh, it was nominated for an Oscar for best song. Um, what was it called? Let me hold on. Let me look up the name of the song just so I can get this trivia. Correct. It's a very odd piece of trivia. I um, really like the song about the camera. That's, Oh the, yeah. That's the one where the people are all freeze framing. <laughs> And that insane stunt where the waiter just starts bouncing like a trampoline from pool to pool yeah. and lands in the final pool. That is so wild looking. Um, so, so it was nominated in 1943 for Best Music Original Song written by Gene DePaul and Don Ray for the song Pigfoot Pete. Now, here's the problem. That song is not in this movie. <laughs> that song was actually in an Abbott and Costello movie called Keep Em Flying. But for some reason, <laughs> the Academy Awards got it wrong and never fixed it. So that is listed as this movie, just adding to the absurdity that is Elsa Poppin. It's nominated for a thing that it isn't for. <laughs> I wish it had won just so it can be even more silly. But yeah, th- that song is not in this movie. It was written for another movie. And I guess the Academy were like... Uh, got their their comedy teams mixed up and never fixed it. And this is only based on, according to IMDb, it's listed on the nominees list in the program from the awards dinner. Say that this song is from Hell's a Poppin', and it is in fact from Keep 'Em Flying. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, Abbott and Costello getting the shaft, getting, <laughs> and I can't think of that ever happening before, where the Academy Awards just nominated the wrong thing, nobody corrected it. So well, tell us a, to give us some background on these these two guys, these two visionary comedians who gave us this film. <laughs> well, they so Olson and Johnson. So Olson had like a band that he did, and their I think it was their pianist was sick, and Johnson came in to replace it as the pianist, and then they decided later to be funny. They're like, oh, this is in vaudeville, and they were like broke away from the band the two of them because they hit it off and then they were like well let's do comedy because that seems to be what people want and so they didn't even enter it as comedians <laughs> they were just doing music and they would tour uh 
and just do this comedy show. And then when they played and they, the show kind of was just kind of what the first 20 minutes of this movie is like in most of the movie where it's just jokes and jokes. They would have like a fake bathtub come out and they do a bit in the bathtub and they were one of the first teams to use uh, a prop gun with blanks where they would shoot the gun at the audience or they'd shoot the gun in the air and like a fake duck would fall down. And then the joke would be, well, good thing cows don't fly. And then a giant fake cat would fall on the audience. (laughs) (laughs) And they just filled their show with just all these insane visual gags where like, and it was, they had uh, 10 audience, 10 actors planted in the audience. And throughout the show, people would just break into character and you would not, and at first you would think it was somebody like there was a lady who would stand up and say, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom. And it would become this whole bit, but it was fake. It was for the show. And uh, the show just started getting more and more popular. And then it, it got invited to be a part of Broadway. And Walter Winchell actually was the person who really promoted it because he loved it so much. And he was such a big columnist at the time that even though all the critics thought it was shit and should close down walter winchell's like no this is great and you should go audiences are having like an experience watching this thing it's almost like a rocky horror thing where like the audience is interacting with the thing on stage with the with the live show and they would bring people on stage and kind of have it just be this insane just party comedy party <laughs> which sounds like a great thing to go do in new york city yeah like if you were a tourist when you want to go like this should be a show now i would love to see something like this in, in extreme and interactive and, and uh, an, another this is another wells connection so this would have been at the same time that he was doing things like his macbeth and harlem mm-hmm. and his uh like it, basically all of his groundbreaking Broadway shows, this would have been at the same time. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, yeah, this is like in the thirties and uh, it's just, these are guys who are breaking new ground in theater. And of course, Hollywood's going to want to invite them out and then they're going to break new ground in movies and be chewed up and spat, spat out. And not, yeah. When's David Fincher going to make a movie shitting on Olsen and Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't really do it there was uh it was somebody a shemp came in with the three stooges and they actually they're the reason why it's good and what is the not the, these guys uh yeah let's let's <laughs> maybe david fincher's mom wrote that script um but, yeah and so they had this hit thing and they continued even after this movie kind of i mean the movie did okay Held the House of Poppin movie did okay. Again, not a critical hit. Uh, so it's like, what? who's watching this movie and being like, eh, not for me. I don't know. It's like, how are you not amazed by what's going on here? But again, Citizen Kane, same fucking thing. Yeah. Just like some people don't like change. They don't like the being rocked. They don't like the have a the challenge of art, you know, being something new and different. <laughs> so... They continued and they continued to make movies. Olsen and Johnson are just kind of an all around forgotten comedy team. And I'll have to say, like, as great as this movie is, they're not they aren't the most memorable comedy team in terms of like they aren't like, oh, the one guy is like this and the other guy is like that. You know, like it's not like the Marx Brothers or the Three Stooges or Lauren Hardy, Abbott Costello, where you have like, oh, here's the straight guy and here's the one that acts like a child or here's the one with the painting on mustache and here's the silent clown. Like they definitely 
kind of blend. Like they're both really funny, but like, could you kind of distinguish the, the, the character over the other? Like, who is Olsen and who is Johnson? <laughs> like, in in terms of like what what each one brings to the comedy. Uh, not really, but I do have not a, really. <laughs> I, I do have a I do have a, a theory about why this film might not have made much of an impact. So it was released on December twenty sixth, nineteen forty one. Well, there you go. Do you know what? Do you know what? Do you know what happened in December of nineteen forty one? Yeah, there's a comedy called nineteen forty one, reminding me of the attack on Pearl Harbor. So it's sort uh, of like <laughs> films that came out right after nine eleven, like comedies, or like people are just sort of like, uh, I'm not feeling the goofiness right now. <laughs> And thank God this movie doesn't have like racist Asian stuff or anything in it. Like the like yeah. I'm glad that like there's nothing there's not other than possibly the General E. Lee musical, which I'm still saying is not of offensive. Uh <clears throat> this movie doesn't have any dated like blackface or anything, which is good. Uh but also then all the more baffling as to why is this not got a real release? Like that would hold up movies in the past or not but uh yeah so they so they kept uh making movies and some are actually really good there's a movie that olsen and johnson made in 1943 called crazy house that is more of this kind of thing shemp howard is in it again uh that movie's really good leonard malton prefers crazy house over hell's a poppin again not an easy movie to find and then they did a, one of my favorite genres the comedians in the haunted house movie which is just like the best and so they made a movie called ghost catchers where it's olsen and johnson you know in a haunted house and <laughs> they have other great movie titles like there's one called 50 million frenchmen i don't know what that's about but sign me up and <laughs> And another one called Oh Sailor Behave. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Gold Dust Gertie um paroled from the big house fighting mad and the last movie they made was called See My Lawyer in 1945. And then after the movie like the movies clearly didn't catch on in the same way that like Abbott and Costello did, who at the same time was making hit after hit after hit. And, but they went back to doing the stuff on stage, I guess. They just kept touring with sort of going back to the theater and doing uh, their crazy comedy for audience, for live audience. Um, and they both passed away in, I believe, the early uh, 60s. <clears throat> but yeah, Olsen and Johnson should be remembered. I wish they were remembered. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at his uh, his IMDb, and he has 75 soundtrack credits. The for most who? recent for Ole Olson. Oh, and what's the, the song? most recent is Southland Tales, <laughs> <laughs> which we're gonna do next. Well, we're gonna record <laughs> next week. You're in, How? You, what are you're the in the army of now from Southland Tales. <laughs> He also, well, so I guess you're in the army now. He had, did, wrote he, write, did he write that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, like, is this, what is this from? Yeah, so this lyrics. song from 1928 in Show People is the first time that shows up in 1928, uncredited. And it's used a lot in a lot of movies, including Abbott and Costello's Buck Privates. Um, 
Is this a famous song? I just am not familiar with the title. You're in the army Yeah. Well, clearly he can retire on that, right? I mean, like just, I mean, it was written, so 28, so that's post-World War One, pre-World War Two, right? Yeah. And then, of course, as World War Two becomes a thing, it's used a lot. Like in 1941, it's in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine movies feature that song from The Great Mr. Nobody, Sergeant York, Meet John Doughboy, Parachute Battalion, Great Guns, Rookie Review, The Rookie Bear, and a movie called You're in the Army Now. So, and then in 1942, it's in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten movies. 1943, it's in like eight, 44. So, like, if they did royalties back then, and I don't know how they figured that out, or if they did, he probably made a few bucks off of one of the most famous patriotic <laughs> tunes of all time. That's crazy. And it's crazy. The last time it was used in Southland Tales. <laughs> 2006 what are the chances of that man that's great <laughs> so clearly clearly i'm on sort of an in the art you're in the army now wavelength in these, these next two weeks am i gonna get drafted <laughs> that was a great gag in this <laughs> where he says the number and the guy's like that's my oh i'm drafted and his clothes fly off and underneath it is an army uniform and he yep Walks away. That was fantastic. Uh, love a good draft joke. Um, <laughs> so. I hope his kids are making money off that song because he died in 1963. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> it, it can be, still be used again. 2006 was the last time people, I guess, were feeling uh, patriotic. So, <laughs> yeah. I Maybe imagine that thing. some of these later ones, it might be more ironic. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but you never know what comes back. You never know what the kids get into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, as you can tell by my excited just babbling about this movie for over an hour, I love this movie. <laughs> you get me talking about it, I get excited. Uh, yeah. I'm just, you know, I feel this is a true slapstick masterpiece. And just a masterpiece of cinema in general and ahead of its time. And we can't really spoil anything. So if you haven't seen it, you can still watch it. And it's on YouTube. It's free. So I think it should be watched by all people who love film and comedy. But you haven't seen any of his other of their other films. Uh, I've seen Crazy House and it is very good. Yeah, I don't like it as I don't like it as much as Hell's a Poppin'. But it is great. Like, it is really, it's still something special. Um, and I've strangely never seen Ghost Catchers, even though that's totally a thing I should see. And 50 Million Frenchmen seems like something I need to check out just to see why it's called that. Uh, yeah. Like, where's my Olsen and Johnson box set? Come on. Come on, Kino Lorber. <laughs> get, get on it. Doing. Um, yeah, Chick yeah. Johnson tried his hands at songwriting, didn't come up with quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What did, uh, what was, uh, what was the soundtrack? He, has, he, uh... he has three songs. One is from All Over Town, a song called McDougal's Mackerel. <laughs> one from Private Snuffy Smith from 1942 called Time's a Wastin'. 
And from 1944's The Ghost Catchers, or Ghost Catchers, uh, two songs, Three Cheers for the Customer and Quoth the Raven. <laughs> Let's bring back Quoth the Raven and make it. Let's make that in seventy movies. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to hear McDougal's mackerel. That's the song I want to hear. Nineteen thirty-seven. <laughs> wow. Uh, what great. What great guys. I like. There's a whole like. If you get into the world of sort of lost comedy teams, like it really is endless. And I highly recommend the the Leonard Moulton book called Movie Comedy Teams is just him gushing about all of these types of people. And there's so many of them. There's so many comedy teams that were big in vaudeville and tried to make it in Hollywood and just didn't quite click. But what they have is like, there's we all like, all like Wheeler and Woolsey is another one. Like not a lot of people remember Wheeler and Woolsey or the Ritz brothers, even though they're in the great blazing stewardesses. That was their final film. Uh, and like, you know, just they didn't all click like Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello click. These other guys they didn't click as much. Uh, why? Who knows why? But uh, I'm glad that Olsen and Johnson were able to get Hell's a Poppin' made. Um, I would imagine that would have been a harder movie to make at other times in Hollywood. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess in 41, uh, they were just like trying new stuff. They were willing yeah. to try some new stuff, I guess. I don't know. It was... <laughs> Hollywood is hungry. Um, Hollywood is hungry. Yeah. Now I just it, it's 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 a bittersweet kind of beautiful thing, but uh, yeah, they basically Ole and Johnson they died within a year of each other. So uh, Chick Johnson died in February of sixty two, and uh, let's see, and Ole Olson died in January of sixty three. Wow. So, so not even a year apart. Yeah. And it's just like, I can't, yeah. I can't live without my, even with all these, this in the army now royalties, I can't live without my buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, well, all of a sudden the, the, um, they're about to do a number and all of a sudden the floor dropped out and they descended into hell with a bunch of dancing ladies. <laughs> What a wild way to start a movie. And I like it's it. never really explained why it's in hell or why it's called Hell's a Poppin'. Like that has nothing to do with what's going on other than you can associate them going from the theater, the true art of theater to Hollywood. And because like in hell is where they're talking to the director and everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that in hell? So it's like maybe they're equating a... Uh, moving to Hollywood to going to hell. <laughs> early name, uh, early Barton, <laughs> like way early Barton Fink resonance. Yeah. Because I think the show was just called Hell's a Poppin' just because it just sounds like a crazy word for a crazy nonsense show. I don't think there's yeah. it, any part in hell in the the stage show, but like that's definitely how the movie begins. And it's that part is so good because it's like you have it where Shemp starts the movie and then you see the people dancing down the stairs and then they give out and they just go down a slide into hell where it's full of demons and devils and a hundred percent deconstructed Harry must like what else? <laughs> I mean, really like what else? Like yeah, I expected Billy Crystal to show up in this movie to like just walk in and uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, thanks for letting me rant and rave uh, about uh, Hells of Poppin. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like like if you think we gave away some of the 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 bits, there's a hundred more close at least. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. Oh, it's before we're done. What were some? Were there any other f- gags you really liked that we didn't talk about? I just, I, you know, to me it was the just the frenetic everything. Like I'm watching it while we're uh, silently playing while we're talking. It's just one thing after another. Like there's a something that just happened. There's just a, a very small bit where Martha Ray has a dog <laughs> on stage and she is doing this bit where the dog walks up and over her while she's doing a flip. And it's just sort of like, well, that's a pretty amazing bit to just like throw away. Like this movie's so insane. We didn't even bring that up. And if that was in any other movie, that would be one of the first things we talked about was remember that crazy scene where everyone's doing like acrobatic dancing. And there's dogs running all over them. And then all the dogs and cats are being thrown all over the place. Like this movie is just, it's wild. It just go, it just goes everywhere. And, and it really is like any type of joke that's ever existed or didn't even exist at the time is in this movie. They just like they just like they, it must have been so much fun writing the script, and just be like, <laughs> I want to read the script. It's a script like three hundred pages to explain all these things that go by so quickly. It must have been like the, it's and it's a, and just like when you watch like a Zucker Brothers thing, just thinking about the amount of work like the prop department had to do, just to make all these throwaway things, like the giant lighter that is wheeled out to light the guy's cigar. Or just like all the things that break and all the sets that get destroyed and all the like the guy who keeps coming out with the tree and the tree keeps getting bigger. <laughs> like just weird, weird jokes. It just it just felt like there's a lot of work went into the making of this movie. Like you, I think you don't think about it when you watch it because you're just having a good time. But then when it's done, you're like, man, they had to like build all that and they had to like make it all happen. And like, what is a shooting schedule like for a movie with this many stunts and performers and and just like quick jokes and wow, yeah. I just every time I watch it, I'm just completely amazed by this movie. And I'm going to suggest that you, the listener, will have the same experience when you watch it. <laughs> Check it out on YouTube right now. If you haven't, you should have. You should have already watched it to listen to us talk <laughs> about it. But if you haven't already, just just listen to it now. I mean, watch it now. It's so good. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a a pure, pure joyful experience. And I, you know, I don't know when this is going to be coming out, but I can. Hopefully not after Pearl Harbor being attacked. (laughs) Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. So we talked about it a little bit, 
because this film came out in 1941 and we don't we haven't gone back to 1941 for a film before uh let's just look at that year in film because it was uh i mean historically there was there was some stuff going on in 1941 and people needed distractions or (laughs) films needed to get a bunch of films into production because they were going to lose all their actors to the coming war but there were some there were we, we talked about citizen kane and the Maltese Falcon, but that was was far from all that cinema goers had to look forward to in 1941. Of course, there was Hell's a Poppin', but let's. How about you pick one, and I'll pick one. We'll go. We'll go back and forth on what were some of <laughs> the best films of 1941. Uh, Dumbo came out in 1941. It makes me cry every time when his mom is locked away. Oh my goodness! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, meet John Doe. With oh. Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck, uh, the Frank Capra film, I it's a very dark. It's have you ever watched it? No. Oh, mm. it's it's because it has that Capra thing, the sort of Mr. Smith goes to Washington thing, but it's also really, really dark. Uh, a re- very dark story and uh, really wonderful. Yeah, very moving. I I. I Anytime I have the opportunity to rewatch Meet John Doe, I do. Uh, what's another one? Uh, Sullivan's Travels, the um, the comedy uh, from Preston Sturges. Very good. I love that movie. That's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Lady Eve was from from that year. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, and, and that is that's another Preston Sturges. Yeah, so Preston he did Sturges a had Sullivan's Travels and The Lady Eve in one year. One that's year. That's pretty good. He's, he's pretty good. <laughs> Preston Sturges pretty good. What is what's another one that The uh, Hitchcock movie Suspicion with Cary Grant, which is very good. Like I really like the kind of the older black and white Hitchcock stuff and that and that one is great. That's the one where he's got the the milk that he's carrying upstairs, right? And it's all lit. Uh, it's all glowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, everyone loves Sergeant York. I'm not so big on that. Here comes Mr. Jordan was that year. That's pretty great. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, and the original Wolfman came out, uh, the one with uh, Lon Chaney Jr. That's the Spencer Tracy Jekyll and Hyde. And by the way, yes, it came out on my birthday, 1941, August 12th. Hey, yeah. all right. Yeah, I wasn't even... Uh, uh, my mother was barely a glimmer in her father's eye. <laughs> she was born in 41. Um <laughs> You know, so look at, I want to talk about the the top grossing films of that year, because for the most part, none of them are films we ever talk about. Number yeah, one the, was Sergeant York. So people, that was it. But then, then number two was Honky Tonk. Don't know what that is. Number three was Louisiana Purchase. Okay. <laughs> number four was How Green Was My Valley. So I've heard of that heard one. Of that, that, one. That, that was the big Oscar win of the year. Okay, then here we go. Caught in the Draft. Oh, <laughs> Caught in the Draft was tied with Ball of Fire. So that's great. I don't know what either of those You don't are. know Ball of Fire? The Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Gary Cooper? Oh, my God. Ball of Fire is one of my favorite films. Uh, Gary Cooper plays a guy who's trying to learn slang by going to jazz clubs. 
And <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck plays this plays a nightclub singer who lots uses lots of ring a ding lingo, and <laughs> she has to hide out from her gangster boyfriend and hangs out with Gary Cooper and a bunch of old nerds writing this book. It was, <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Okay. It's so good. Sounds pretty good. Uh, so that's um, I'm glad. And unfortunately, has to tie it. It's tied with caught in the draft which i've never heard of then there's road to zanzibar i guess that must be a bob and bing the little uh, fox is it that might be too early for that dorothy lamore no it's bob and bing 1941 huh, okay. uh the little foxes with betty davis a yank in the raf with betty grable <laughs> men of boys town with uh spencer tracy and mickey rooney Nothing but the truth with Bob Hope and Paulette Goddard, and Bob, in Bob the Hope. Navy with Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Yeah, I think Buck Privates also came out in '41. Uh, they were like cranking them out. Um, yeah, but I really like all that. I mean, more Shemp. There's more Shemp in those movies. So if you if you more one more Shemp after Hell's a Pop, and he was really working back then. Yeah, I mean, ju- uh, well, and you know, Hell's a Poppin', it only came out in it, at the very end of, of 1941. It was one of the last films released in 1941, by the way. So it, hmm. it really got in under the wire. It could have yeah. been one of the great films of 1942, a year uh, we, yeah. we may get to at some point. Um, yes, this is the earliest movie we've done so far. We've not done anything older than 1941, correct? yeah. Because I'm pretty yeah, sure, so. uh, yeah, um, the strange love of Martha Ivers is a little bit later. Definitely, yeah. So next week we're going to be doing a film that we referenced in this episode. Yep, we are going to do Southland Tales. Hell's I a pooping. Hell's a pooping. Uh, much like Hell's a Poppin', a crazy movie full of lots of people running around. Is it as good as Hell's a Poppin'? You be the judge and uh, we'll, you listen to our discussion. And you can be the judge, we... jury, and executioner. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give you a yeah. uh, hint on how that might come out if you put these two films on, scale, <laughs> on opposite sides of a scale. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm excited to get to a movie that maybe I'm the only one who likes. Uh, we'll see. I, so, <laughs> there's, there's, it, maybe you are the only one who likes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in two weeks, tune in for Southland. Richard Kelly, the director of Donnie Darko, his follow up, the much hated Southland Tales. Yes, check it out, watch it, learn it, love it, get to know it, <laughs> then come and listen to us talk about it and just like with this episode you'll be able to find the page devoted to that episode on our website at www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com wonderful website please check it out i put a lot of work into it anyway you do uh you can also write to us to tell us how wonderful the website is at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or really you can tell us Anything. We'll take your criticisms. We'll take your critiques. We'll take your suggestions, and we will shove them. No. <laughs> and you can uh, you can find us on a couple of social media platforms: Instagram, where we post lots of cool pictures and movies and wonderful stuff, and where uh, where directors and actors sometimes reach out to us to say nice things, to say thank you, and 
You're welcome and all, all that. And you can also find us on Twitter at World is Wrong Pod, where, I don't know, by this point, uh, maybe I'm banned. Maybe we're banned. I don't know. It could, could happen, <laughs> considering all the, all the sh- nasty shenanigans I get up to over there. Don't look, Brian. Just avert <laughs> your eyes. Have. Avert your eyes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so this has been fun. This has been really fun. I, I, I really, I love this episode. I, I hope everyone got a kick out of this movie. And if you watch this with, if you listen to this without watching the movie, what's wrong with you? Just why would you deny yourself that? <laughs> and you can't really spoil this movie. No. Like if it's like, it's just a bunch of jokes. So <laughs> just yeah. a bunch of jokes. It's a bunch symphony of, great of humor and laughs. laughs. Uh, just a great way to head into world war two. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, whether whether you're a time traveler from the year 1941 or the year 2041, wherever you are and whenever you are, you gotta you gotta admit the world is wrong and it's probably wrong about you.
going to produce lots of shows from now on. I hope you're right. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show. 